Coming up on Art Palace. I was, you know, working on this this one area of my square, and the archaeologist came over, and he was like, "Oh, this is fascinating. You know, you, you found this wonderful wall, and here you can see this doorway, and then the wall continues on the other side." And I looked down, and I said, "I have a bunch of rocks in a row. I have a spot where there's no rocks, and then I've got some more rocks." Welcome to Art Palace, produced by Cincinnati Art Museum. This is your host, Russell Eyrig. Here at the Art Palace, we meet cool people and then talk to them about art. Today's cool person is Ainsley Cameron, our new curator of South Asian art, Islamic art, and antiquities. So I think it's really weird that you're, you, you're so nervous about this. Well, how could I not be? I don't know. It's sort of a bit too... Really? Too real. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know. So my read on you is that <laughs> you would be the person who would be like so okay with it. I thought I was going to be. Okay. I did. That, I was like, I can totally do this. <laughs> I can totally be relaxed. It's all good. Because I just yeah. felt like, oh, she'll be fine. Like, it was really funny when I could tell, like, in your email, there were, like, a lot of questions. I was like, oh, she's nervous about yeah. this. Yeah. She's not <laughs> She's not comfortable. And I thought, like, that's so surprising because I, I don't know. Maybe I just, you strike me as, as very outgoing and, like, I just thought, like, but I guess I've learned my lesson a couple times <laughs> in a variety of, of ways that, like, that doesn't always translate to everything else. Like I have friends yes. who are very outgoing, big personalities, but then like you put them on a stage and they kind of freeze. Like, yeah. Like wallflower style. Yeah. yeah. I don't think I have a big personality. What's that? You say you don't think? I don't think so. I, I consider myself to be very shy actually. I don't know. A lot I mean, of people don't believe me, but it's true. <laughs> <laughs> I fight for my shy status. Maybe you've just been reading too many of those like lists that are just like, all about how wonderful introverts are online and <laughs> and the underlying message is usually how what terrible people extroverts uh, yeah, are. Yeah, maybe that's it. Maybe. I always I always read this and I'm just like I hate this cuz the the message is that basically I'm a pile of garbage yeah. because I don't mind being like on a stage or something. So, well, uh, maybe I'll try with you of 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 how did you get here? <laughs> <laughs> um how did I get here? Um, how long of a story do you want? I can edit it down. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right. I don't have anything else on the plan. So it's like, we'll release it in like 12 parts. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that would the be saga great. continues. I mean, actually, if you, you could set me up for like a whole couple of months and I wouldn't have to record anything else. That I mean, would be, yeah, very useful for you. But I think if we've already covered the fact that I'm nervous to do this, you're probably not going to get that much out of me. Yeah, maybe not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so how did I get here? Maybe my question's bad. Maybe I'm the problem. Um yeah, I mean, what brought, yeah, like, how did you end up here? What's the story of, of how do you get to this point? And I, I guess I am interested, actually, even a little bit further back than just, like, well, I was at my last job, and then Yeah, and I'm then this here. job came up. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I, am. Yeah, yeah. I, mean I'm, I guess I'm interested in how, like, people end up in the careers they end up, because I know, for me, I never in a million years thought that this is what I would do. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just totally luck and weird dumb luck mm-hmm. and and just like oh well, this happened and then I started doing that and then you know there's just like sort of these weird choices you make 
yeah. that you think are inconsequential and turn out not to be. <laughs> yeah, no, I think I think that's true. And I think that sort of they snowball as you get older, too, where sort of one leads to the next and it all sort yeah. of starts to make sense originally or eventually. And then you realize that, yeah, you've been on a path for much longer than you than you thought you were. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, OK, so I think for me, then, if if that's what we're talking about, of how I got here and sort of this like larger, when did the ball start rolling? Yeah. Um, when I was 15. Wow. I think it all started when I was 15. Um, my mom got a job in Sri Lanka, in Colombo, and uh, we moved there. And I did all of high school over there. And so that's sort of my first introduction to South Asia, my first introduction to the art and archaeology of the region, and what got me really excited to follow the career path that I'm on now. Oh, well, that's, I had no idea. That's, yeah. <laughs> see, I'm glad I asked, because that's a way better story than I expected. <laughs> It's a bunch of like, I was a freshman. I didn't know what to take. So how old were you when you moved? Uh, 15. 15. So that must've been like Mm. a pretty big, like, it was a big deal. Yeah. yeah, Was that a pretty big, like culture shock for you? Huge. I mean, it just seems like it's such a, like a point in everyone's life where everyone's a little off balance anyway. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, what's interesting. I think is that my mom was offered the job and turned it down because she was like, I have a 15 year old daughter. I'm not going to do that to her. Like, I'm not going to try to move her. Um, but I said, yes, let's try it. And I sort of convinced her this was a great idea. Wouldn't this be interesting? Wouldn't this be an amazing opportunity? And then I kind of looked at her and said, where is Sri Lanka? Like, I actually had no idea. <laughs> I think I just wanted to, like, get out of going to the high school I was supposed right. to. But yeah. I didn't know where I was going to end up. Um, but sounded, yeah. It sounded like an exciting, exotic trip. So you were pretty yeah. game, though, for it. I was game. I was yeah. definitely game. Yeah. What, what was your, like, high school experience like? There, yeah. it was it was kind of funny. Um, it was small. It was a small private high school where sort of um, uh, mainly Sri Lankan families would send their kids if they wanted their kids to go to university abroad. Um, oh, okay. So it was following the British system. So I did my O levels and my A levels and um, did all these, I don't know, funny random subjects that you wouldn't have done in North American high school. Um, and it was kind of great. The class sizes were really small. The teachers were like not very much older than us, which was kind of weird because um, they were just sort of recent graduates from university in the UK yeah. and could come over and, you know, teach at a high school for a couple of years because they were totally unqualified to do that. <laughs> um, some of them were great. <laughs> in case they're listening. In case they're listening, <laughs> yeah. of course. They're stalking me on a podcast. Uh, some of them were really, really great because they were just like enthusiastic about life and about communicating to to these high school kids um but some of them had no idea how to put together a high school curriculum but yeah I mean it it worked out it worked out great so I had a wonderful time there I really enjoyed it we stayed for three years we decided to go for one year and if we liked it we'd stay for longer and we stayed for three wow that's awesome yeah that's yeah, yeah totally so that just it really started with, were you already interested in art before that? I was interested in archaeology. Okay. I was convinced I was going to be the next Indiana Jones. Like, yeah. this was the thing for me. Um, but I thought I wanted to do Middle Eastern archaeology because that's sort of like what you do, right? right. Um, but as soon as I got to, to Colombo, everything changed. Like, it was just, it was all South Asia. Mm-hmm. I just, like, it got into my blood somehow. So, yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Um, so after that, you just begins, I mean, how long were you there and when did you come back? 
So I was there for the three years, three years okay, of, yeah. of high school, and then I went to university in Canada. So I left okay. to go to university. My parents stayed there for another year. And oh, I cool. left and went. Yeah. Wow. That's back to the home country. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just always so charmed when I find out people like grew up somewhere exotic. So uh, then how did you I guess from from there, how did you get into the museum world? Was it a pretty easy transition from from college or? So that I think as well was sort of this idea of a, a random decision that you make and how that um, that affects the rest of your life. <laughs> um, I so I so I took undergraduate classes mainly in archaeology, but I also you know minored in South Asian studies and was interested in both aspects of it. And and you know following that through, I realized near the end of my four year undergraduate that uh, I didn't want to be an archaeologist anymore. And I didn't know what to do with Why not? my life. Um, archaeology is interesting. Um, I liked going on digs. I liked learning about the history. I liked doing all these things. But there's this sort of like conceptual leap that you have to make in archaeology that I found frustrating. Like you have to be on a dig and you have to sort of look around. And when you see a pile of rocks, you have to be able to see a wall and a building and a roof and all of these mm. things. And they have to sort of rise up in front of you. And that just wasn't happening to me. Like I remember being on a dig and I was, you know, working on this, this one area of my square and the archaeologist came over and he was like, oh, this is fascinating. You know, you, you found this wonderful wall and here you can see this doorway. And then the wall continues on the other side. And I looked down and I said, I have a bunch of rocks in a row I have a spot where there's no rocks yeah. and then I've got some more rocks. Like, is that a doorway? <laughs> Did somebody move these rocks? Like I'm not, I'm not following you. And so I was having trouble with that. I guess that just like creating, creating buildings, creating architecture out of ruin was, was like a conceptual leap that just wasn't happening for me. So I had like a slight panic attack as you do at like, you know, your fourth year undergraduate where you're like, oh my God, I'm going to end up working in a coffee shop for the rest of my life. Um, which is great. I make yeah. a mean cappuccino, um, because I did spend a lot of time working in coffee shops. Um, but I went to, so my last week of undergraduate, um, I, I went to a lecture at a museum, uh, in one of my other classes, one of my anthropology classes. And the curator was giving us this lecture and she stood up in front of us and she said, you know, hello, this is my name. This is what I do. I'm the curator. That means that I, you know, take care of objects. I put on exhibitions. I do a little research and she, you know, sort of laid out what the role is. And I sort of just had this moment where I was like, oh, that's it. I'll do that. That yeah. sounds great. Um, so I called her up a week later and I said, I want to volunteer for you. You know, I'm just going to like go and find myself and teach English for a while and come back. And then, you know, I want to be your little like curatorial minion, <laughs> hang out with you for a bit. And she let me. Um, and that just like, you know, led to the next thing, which was like, go to grad school and then go and do this. And it just sort of led me on this path. Yeah. So I remember around the office when they told us they had hired two curators who were married dun, dun, dun. we were like all so excited because it just <laughs> i don't know at least to me i'm like what a good story like <laughs> i i'm a, because i guess i'm now i don't know a, a 1930s reporter who's always looking for a scoop or something <laughs> but uh i was just like oh that's such a such a I guess it was such a nice coincidence in, mm -hmm. in our case that we were able to to get both of you. Yeah. I mean, did you guys see it that way as a nice coincidence? Or? Oh, it was it was fabulous. I mean, it was it was terrifying the idea of sort of us both, you know, 
sort of being on the job market, seeing what's out there and thinking like, oh, okay, yeah, one of us can live in like Seattle and the other one in DC. No big deal. No, that's, that's not the way you want to live your life. Right. So, yeah. um, and that's def- kind of the reality for a lot of curators, yeah. isn't it? Because I mean, it is a career that, you know, there's not a, a lot of curator positions within no. any city. Right? No. Yeah. Like, you don't really get to choose where you live. Yeah. You get to. Yeah. It's like you've got a couple hubs where there's going to be more yeah. in, in, in the United States, at least. It's like, yeah. OK, well, you've got D.C. and New York and you've got these few little places where there's mm-hmm. going to be more museums and thus more <laughs> curators. Yeah. But I guess if you're also I, I didn't really think about it is like for a curator there, you're generally specialized so even within that it's not like well there's a lot of museums you know yeah it doesn't matter it's like well i need a museum that has a south asian art collection and then we need a museum that has a photography collection and then we need a museum that has openings in both of those areas at the exact same time yeah we we were really stressed about that but we're really (laughs) happy it worked out i mean oh my god that's amazing yeah that's crazy so um you're originally from Canada. I am. Right. Mm-hmm. So this is, um, I guess I can't remember you guys, uh, neither you or your husband have any ties to Cincinnati originally. Did you? No, not at all. The first time we were over here was coming for the interview. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. So this was mm-hmm. just like, oh, okay. Um, so have you, how many different places in the United States had you lived? I've only ever lived in Philadelphia before now. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, that was the first time. I moved to the United States in 2012 for the first time. Philly's like an interesting place to probably uh, get your feet wet. Yeah. It probably feels like at least, and I'm basing this solely on my Canadian stereotypes. Mm -hmm. Please. Um, (laughs) Please do. Please (laughs) do stereotype my people. Um, (laughs) See how polite I was about that? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Stereotype number one. There you go. But that's, and that was going to be precisely my stereotype about Philadelphia. Mm. Oh man. Yeah for being the most polite no and that was really fine so so i didn't actually move to philadelphia from canada that probably would have been um an interesting move i moved from from london from england yeah um but when i got to philadelphia it at first i thought you know these people are so mean everyone is so <laughs> mean what is wrong with them they're yelling all the time like they oh but they just take it in stride don't they well so it took me a while but i realized they're not actually mean yeah um they're just very blunt and abrupt yeah. so whereas a canadian i'd be like oh excuse me pardon me like do you do you have a second could i ask you a question i just have to ask you know what what time does the bus come they'd be like yo what time does the bus come yeah and so it's a total different I don't know, approach to communication <laughs> style <laughs> that took me a while, but I got there eventually. Yeah. 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 I remember being in Philly and just watching like a car, like a, an old man was crossing the street and a car just moved a little bit towards him and he just like smacked the car, started <laughs> screaming at it, yeah. cursing at them. And I was like, yeah, but that's Philadelphia yeah. right there. Yeah. Hi, I'm home. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that was a really, it was a really interesting transition to make. And coming, coming from England um, was fascinating too. Cause I'm coming, you know, I'm like from this like hyper polite, yeah. strange country and then moving from, you know, the original. England, yeah, right. Um, yeah. It made a very different, a very different experience for me. Yeah, I don't know. I, I guess I'm too. I'm probably too inside it to to be able to properly stereotype Cincinnatians yet. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know if I could really uh, give you a good sort of like where we sit on the spectrum of that. Mm. I've I've enjoyed it so far. Trying to trying to suss that out. Yeah, I like the sort of. I feel like Cincinnati has this wonderful like 
like Midwestern charm with like Southern hospitality kind of mixing together in this really interesting way. Yeah, there's, there is a, it is probably because of its being sort of smack between like the beginning of the South and like the North. Like it does have a a little bit of like a mix of those things going Mm -hmm. on, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, one of the one of the criticisms I have heard lobbed at us mm-hmm. uh, from 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 people who are not from here is that we are really like niche and like very insular and because people live here for a really long time mm-hmm. they have trouble letting new people in. Yes, but that's like a midwestern thing I think yeah. though too. I think that you see that. Um, I have friends who who like moved to Minneapolis and the same thing happened yeah. where people were like super polite but you never got past like a coin stage. Yeah. That's what, yeah. that's what a lot of people say about here. And, and yeah. because it's not a, a city full of, you know, transient people yeah. where, you know, everybody sort of has to be kind of welcoming mm-hmm. to like make those friend groups happen and make those communities because people already have ones they grew up with. They, yeah. it's like, it takes a little harder to chip through that wall. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I don't have any friends, so. <laughs> oh my gosh. I feel like this episode should be like, do you want to be my oh, friend? Thanks. Like you can come. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it, and I think it, I think it is hard and it's hard at different times in your life too. Well, that's true. Sort it's of like, like you're, you're married through. with a, a kid yeah. too. And that changes things as well. Yeah, like, no, definitely. I've met a lot more people, I think because of that, cause you know, you can talk about the kid and yeah. you like, make connections with people. Um, but we haven't been here for too long either. That's so true. yeah. Um, you have yeah. to bring, uh, you have to come on a baby tour sometime. Yeah. Yeah, I will. <laughs> I can't imagine my baby actually staying still for long enough for a baby hey, tour, but I'll try. You know what? Almost the thing we hear all the time is like just people being surprised by how their babies behave on mm. baby tours. Okay. So overall we have very little crying on them. Hmm. Usually the babies are pretty into it and they're engaged enough that they're like, we just don't have a lot of tears. Cool. I don't know. I mean, maybe we're just getting lucky, but. Maybe, um, yeah. Until my wild child comes. (laughs) (laughs) But people always say, they're like, I never thought they would. There's a lot of surprise from people going like, I didn't think they would like stare at this as long as they did. But you got to think like they got new eyes. They're you know, taking in new stuff all the time. And then they're put in this new environment that they've never been to. So it's like all new stuff. That's all exciting and interesting to them. So I think that's why they're, you know, and we pick pieces that they will respond to. Hopefully we try to, you know, get into the mind of a baby and find the things (laughs) that they'll be interested in. So, um, you know, things with faces and, uh, light, uh, I wonder if uh, the Anila Aga piece would be interesting for a baby or like too bright for a baby. I don't even I'm know. I'm trying to figure that out. Yeah, I really want to bring, I really want to bring my son to that. Um, I think he would love it, partly because there's just so much space in that gallery to run around yeah. that I think he would sort of go nuts. And I think yeah. he'd be really interested in the shadows and his own shadow mm-hmm. as it, you know, gets projected onto the wall. Um, I would definitely try to keep him from staring at the light bulb. <laughs> yeah, that, that was the only thing that worried me. Yeah. I was like, That's, that light's really bright. Yeah. And uh, I, yeah, but the contrast is usually a really big thing we go mm-hmm. for. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of that. And I mean, yeah. there's so many tours we do that are for babies that are just like black and white. Oh, um, yeah, That definitely. we try to do just uh, black and white tours. So that, even though it's not just black and white, the shadows on the wall would mm-hmm. kind of fit into mm-hmm. that. So Definitely. 
I don't know. Um, maybe since we're already talking about that, that's a good transition to go look at it. <laughs> okay, sounds good. <laughs> So here we are in the, what I always call the shift gallery, because I always forget the number of it. Yeah, actually, I do as well. I call it the shift gallery. It's 234, maybe, and 235. That sounds good. Right? Let's go remember. with that. It's, it's up there. I know it's, it's in there. the high. And it, it's, it doesn't coordinate with the ones right outside the door, because those are like 220s or something. Okay. So it I, coordinates with the one outside that door, where the, okay. where the um, works on paper are. This, the other special galleries are, uh, I think, 232 and 233. So maybe this is 234. And yeah, that would make sense. Yeah. That yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, sure. This has been fascinating number talk. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> Thank you for listening. <laughs> Thank you for not turning off. This is like becoming a staple of my <laughs> podcast. This is the moment when we like debate which gallery <laughs> we're standing in. And, number, and it's easily probably something nobody else cares about. No, like, there's no. like, I don't know. Yeah. Just ask where the big box is. That's yes, what, if you, if that's you all you it. need to do. <laughs> big red box. Yeah. So this is um, this was like your first museum purchase, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Yeah, it was the first purchase with our new endowment for South Asian art, the Alice Bimal Endowment for Asian Art. So it's very exciting. That was pretty, and I mean, how long had you worked here before you got to make that decision? Uh, I think about five days. That's not normal, right? No, that's really not normal, <laughs> uh, which was pretty awesome, though, to sort of to get here and to hit the ground running. I mean, I, I had every intention of showing up at this job and saying, have you guys heard of Anila Aga? She's yeah. in Indianapolis. She's great. Um, but as soon as I got here, um, people had already heard of her yeah. and had already sort of you know, thinking about her in that way. So I just sort of came and said, yes, I agree. Let's go. And yeah. And so here we are. Um, I think, yeah, like two weeks or three weeks into my job here, putting up this exhibition, um, writing out the labels, interpretation. It was kind of a great way to meet all of my new colleagues, yeah. really, you know, to like actually work on a project with them. Yeah, that is like just jumping into the deep end of the pool, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, you know? why not? It's like, why not? It might, it might be a little cold, uh, <laughs> but it's, you're going to just get it all over with. Yep, you know? pretty much. Instead of doing that thing, you don't have to dip your toes in slowly. Yes, no, there was no, there was no dipping of toes in this one. <laughs> it was a jump right in kind of situation. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I'm so pleased that it's here. I think it's just, it's such a wonderful, beautiful piece, and it, it's such a great addition to the collection. So if um, you have not seen this piece, it is a very large, um, is it four foot by four? Is each side four uh, foot? 60 by 60. So yeah, is yeah that, that's, that's four, four feet, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's, uh, so it's a cube that is four, f you know, four foot in each dimension and it's suspended in the air, kind of looks like it's floating. Um, and then it, it is laser cut, is that? Yes, yeah, so it's laser cut steel. Um, and it's all sort of put together as this large cube, and it's lacquered this bright red color. Yeah, and the inside, the outside, it was the outside red too? Yes, it is, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because you can't really tell because of the, mm -hmm. the light. The light is inside the cube, so you can see the color of the inside, and then you're only getting sort of the shadow on the outside. Mm -hmm. um, and it's 
all of this really intricate detail of um, geometric patterns and it just kind of has almost like a laciness to it uh, that casts all these amazing shadows on the wall. So it, it's this really cool piece that becomes not just about the object itself, but the whole space it's in. Yes. That it's yeah. casting this light and the shadow all around the room. And, and it's a really interesting, I guess this, a lot of her works look similar or have the same sort of idea behind them. Um, but it, it's really interesting to see how maybe they activate different spaces differently. Oh, definitely. Actually, that's a big part of it. Um, so she's been working, uh, Anila Aga, the artist, has been working in steel uh, for only a few years. I think 2013 was the first piece okay. that she made in this laser-cut steel. Um, and I've seen some of her works in different uh, gallery spaces uh, in person and then also some of them um, just through photographs, but it, it's completely different every single yeah. time. I was a little bit nervous about this space because the shift gallery is this beautiful, Huge. wonderful, <laughs> large, large space and it's um, sort of more rectangular in shape. Yeah. And so I was wondering what would happen to the shadows on the sides because I've seen it in more square rooms. and. I kind of love what it does here. I think it's really amazing. And the artist loves it too, because it has these really sort of precise uh, shadows on the two side yeah. walls directly next, the ones that, like, that are closest to the centerpiece. And then the pattern turns into this really sort of like diffuse, you know, like dispersed idea of, of the pattern as it hits the front wall and the back wall, because the, you know, it's like just a little bit further away from the light bulb. Yeah. And it, it just adds this other layer of texture to it. I really like it. Yeah, I was, I was, I had the same sort of uh, reservations about it when I heard it was going mm -hmm. in here too, because I thought, oh, is that going to work? Like, I guess I'm, I'm too practical about these things too. That I'm thinking, like, how is that going to work? Um, yeah, make this happen. Yeah, but yeah, I agree. Like the the way that those shadows sort of stretch out in certain mm -hmm. areas over mm -hmm. here, I think, is really really cool. And, yeah, and uh, and just adds that extra an extra dimension of having those different parts of the shadows to compare to, yes. to each other. Yeah, no, I think it, it totally changes the reception. And the ceiling too, because there's this sort of yeah. like tray ceiling um, that, yeah, just gives another level and layer to for the shadows to to reflect on or to, to sort of transmit the light onto, which I think is really, really neat. Yeah, and I've never noticed that little pattern up there on yeah, the Yeah, right? Too. A lot of people say that. They've never seen the road. They were like, oh, is that the shift gallery? That can't be our gallery. But it is. And that's that's always been there. It's just never really been called attention to before. Yeah, it's just so much. Yeah, the, until mm -hmm. you have a piece like this that makes you focus on the mm -hmm. walls, the floors, the ceiling, like every bit of the space around you. You know, typically my eyes are straight ahead yeah, uh, whenever yeah. I'm in this space. I never look up. Um, yeah, no, and, and why would you in a gallery experience, right? Because right. you're like at, you're like looking at your 60 center, you're looking at the work of art on the wall or on the, the platform or the plinth, then you're focusing on that, where this piece is very much sort of like trying to make you do the opposite. It's trying to make you experience the work in the center of the room, but also to experience the room, to experience yeah. the space. Um, and I think it's, it's, it's really successful in this room and in this space because of that, because it just sort of, yeah, changes the way that you look at it. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, I was just having kind of similar thoughts about how, and it's something I, I had been, I don't know, subconsciously aware of, but hadn't really thought of that this piece does literally make the whole room, the artwork, yeah. wherever yeah. it goes, like mm -hmm. that becomes 
the space, I, I'm always really interested in that idea of the frame mm -hmm. <laughs> of like mm -hmm. where an artwork begins and ends. Yeah. Um, because it's always that I, I feel like a lot of times people have problems with certain artworks because they don't actually know where the frame begins and ends for certain pieces, mm -hmm. you know, and actually another artist who I think does this in a, in a less obvious way that I think she is very aware of is Donald Judd mm -hmm. um, too, in that, you know, you have these sort of big boxy sculptures and to me, they, you know, by putting them directly on the floor in his case, mm -hmm. he's, he's making them about how those things function in that whole space as well. Yeah. It's, it's not quite as obvious as it is here, but yeah. I like also the way this piece is sort of a, a really interesting look at sort of a, a sort of Donald Judd cube, but with like <laughs> the most ornate, like the most anti-Judd yeah. kind of thing going on. And there's so much like, so much more weight in, in things. I, I don't know, so much more content it feels like because of it. I don't mm -hmm. know. I think it's, I think it's, 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 it's very fascinating to me. And I don't know, like, I, I'm sure I'm not alone in this, but like, um, I don't know, maybe I'm, it's, it's, too obvious or something, but I just keep coming back to this, like, that beautiful big black cube at, like, Mecca. Mm hmm Like, that people, like, circle around. Mm -hmm. Like, it just always, like, I've always loved that as just almost... As this idea, yeah. And just as, like, an art object, yeah. I think it's just, like, really beautiful. Like, I've always thought, like, oh, it's really... I kind of like... I, I like the simplicity of it, and maybe part of me just is interested in it because it looks like modernism <laughs> it does yeah no actually it really really does and there's even there's a lot of sort of prints that you see of mecca that includes that in the center and even that like yeah it's this weird yeah like modern like influx into a very very sort of i don't know um not traditional but like like just like just completely disrupts the architecture and the experience um when you see it um yeah, no, it's really fascinating. Um, I mean, and she's definitely referencing Islamic architecture and Islamic architectural mm -hmm. forms. I don't think necessarily um, Mecca, right? But this idea of um, of the ornate floral and ornamentation and geometric forms that you see in in Islamic architecture throughout the Islamic world um, is sort of is definitely a, um, part of what you're experiencing here. Um, but yeah, the cube shape itself changes that somehow. Well, and I think it is, you know, maybe another thing that makes me, I, I think it's a, it's a very spiritual piece as well. Mm, very me. much I mean, so, yeah. It just has so much, I, I guess it's hard not to think of this, for me, when I think of things with like light and vessels and stuff mm. and, 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 and this light that is cast out, like it all just has a lot of, I don't know, ways that I think people could interpret that in a very like spiritual way. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think, so the artist talks about it as, um, as creating uh, inclusive and welcoming space. Okay. And so to use ideas of awe and wonder and beauty to create to create this sort of like all-encompassing welcoming space. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's sort of it's spirituality, um, not organized religion, but, but yeah. spirituality, definitely. Yeah. But I think it also, it's, I've watched people in this space, and I'm always interested in how things influence people's behaviors. <gasps> yes, yes, and, and this place is so interesting to watch, yeah. People become 
I think in general pretty reverent mm-hmm. towards it. Mm-hmm. Um, more so than they do in, in I don't know, I think a, I'm always interested in the way like maybe like museum architecture and like church architecture sometimes have mm-hmm. things in common and the yep. way those like maybe set up a, a, an expectation of the types of experiences you're about to have. Mm-hmm. But I feel like people here in this room are the most kind of like reverent I've seen them in any space. Yeah, well, I think I'm part of that is because we're disrupting that idea of what they're, what they're expecting in yeah. the museum environment and, and the, the way that they know they're supposed to behave and react, you know, like don't get too close to this, read the label on the wall for this, you know, stand and, and, you know, look at one object at a time, move along on your conveyor belt to the next one. Like, I feel like this gallery is, is very much meant to change that and to take yeah. you out of that comfort zone. So I think that's probably part of why people are treating it with such reverence is because, it's sort of, it's, it's like strangely intimidating, you know, to be out of your comfort zone in a, in a place where you feel like you do know how you're supposed to behave. Yeah. Um, which is really neat. And I think, you know, before we hung out, we talked to the conservators and all this stuff and we were trying to figure out, you know, do, how worried do we need to be about people touching it? And I think of course some people do touch it because people like to touch you things. Can't stop, <laughs> can't stop that. No matter how hard you try. But I think there's a lot less. Um, I think so too. Then, then we thought because of that, because people are just sort of like, they're having this sort of this emotional connection and experience to space and place, um, which is, which is really cool. Yeah. Um, It, 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 I think people come in and they do take it very seriously mm -hmm. and in the same way that, you know, I'm not a religious person, but when I, I go into a cathedral or something, I still sort of feel weird if I have to get too close to like the altar or something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like I'm not supposed to be up here. Yeah. Yeah. This is, yeah, this isn't my place. This right. isn't where I go. And, yeah. And, uh, and I kind of get that sense too. Like people keep a healthy distance from it. Mm-hmm. Like just because it's like, well, that's not, that's not my place. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm allowed to be back here. And maybe because of the shadow, I mean, maybe it's something as simple as also the shadow it, it casts on the floor creates like a literal box around yes, it. Which it is- does. Yeah. And I, I do wonder, because I feel like people are sort of respecting that shadow, yeah. um, which is really cool um, and unplanned. We talked a lot about ways to keep people from it. Like, do we want like little stanchions underneath no. it? And a few different institutions have done that. And we just thought, let's just try with nothing and see what happens. So please, as you listen to this, don't decide to come and swing on the work of art because you can. Uh, Please be respectful of it and the fact that we haven't put stanchions. You know, and you just see like all of all of sometimes you you, we do our best, but it's it's like we've had instances where the stanchions themselves have caused tripping. Yeah. We've yep. had instances where a stanchion falls over and hits a work of art. Oh, God, and, yeah. And, you know, like, so, you, you know, you do your best, but sometimes those, plan, those plans fall through, too. So, yep. And I just think with a piece like this, I'm glad that you let it just be completely by itself in the space without even, you know, a line or anything. Because mm-hmm. I think it just, it, it would put one extra level of... I don't know, it would just change it a little bit. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I'm really glad we were able to leave it like this and that we've been been lucky so far. No, it's just, it's such a beautiful piece.
It's probably the most Instagram piece from the museum right now, too. Probably, yeah. I, saw, I see, like, a lot of photos of it. Yeah, I keep on checking. I mean, I think that's great, too. It is such a, a piece that people are responding to. And, you know, in the 21st century, that's the way that people are responding, yeah. you know, is by, like, having that connection with it and then sharing that with with social media. I learned and about so I think all that's sorts fabulous. of things in the museum world through Instagram all the time. I'm like, yeah, oh, this definitely. is the new show that's at the Whitney. Like, that's how I find yeah. out about it half the time. Yeah, it's, no, me too. So yeah. Like, no, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> and if people want to do their work, to, you know, advertise for us, then Yeah, great. no, no big deal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, no, definitely. Well, yeah. you know, I have to, I'm going to have to talk to your husband soon too. Mm-hmm. Any advice? <laughs> 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 Any tips? Any tips? Um, gosh, I don't know. You now you have to be careful, like um, what you say. Bribe yeah. him? I don't bribe know. Him, like, coffee? Coffee's we have free coffee better. in the office. It's um, not better a- coffee? <laughs> Ouch! <laughs> Shots fired. Dang. Uh, Actually, today I got that coffee and I drank it and it was like the best tasting coffee I've ever had in my life. And I think it's because I was drinking my own coffee at home this weekend. Oh, and so yeah. in comparison, yeah. I You're like, like, oh, don't mind if I do. Way better than that Folgers original <laughs> I was uh, brewing. <laughs> That's true. My coffee at home right now isn't that good either. I enjoyed my cup this morning. And maybe this morning was particularly delicious. Yeah. Like sometimes yeah. it does taste better. Mm-hmm. Like I think it, it just depends on like the ratio of, of grounds that they get in there i believe that's exactly what when, changes a cup of you, coffee th- that would be the only thing right <laughs> well that and like the temperature of the water <laughs> way to really uh Clouseau that one <laughs> yeah I we really, got that one down yeah. you, you figured out that that one of two elements <laughs> might be affecting the flavor of the coffee who would have thought brilliant yep uh, <laughs> well when we first got it, um, were you here when we were like just dumping the whole bag in there? Yes, and people were leaving notes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. We, we, they didn't tell. Like, they didn't tell us. Like they just said, "Oh, well, here you can make coffee. Great." Yeah. But they didn't tell us that you're not supposed to put that whole bag in there. Yeah, but surely we could have figured that out ourselves too. You, no. I think I would have figured it out when I was shaking as much as I was shaking <laughs> at work. Yeah. But I still was like, wow, this is just strong coffee. Uh, yeah, like, God everyone, love it. Have some more. Everyone you talk to would just be like, I'm typing boy, so fast. Is, <laughs> I've never focused on, I can see around corners. Like, <laughs> everyone's like so amped. And everyone you talk to would say the same thing. Like, yeah. wow, that coffee's strong, isn't it? <laughs> and then finally somebody went down to the security training center to get some coffee. Because yeah. we were out because we were going through it. And I, I even think finance was like, Wow, they're really How are they doing this? Yeah. In, in Longworth, aren't they? And so we went down and and some, you know, someone in security probably told us like, "Uh, you're only supposed to be putting like half a bag in there." Like, "Oh, it changes everything." And it tasted way better it when did. we did that. It did. So, definitely. Definitely. Well, this has been Coffee Talk. Thank you for listening. <laughs> <laughs> So, but that's all you got was so it was coffee bribes, um, for him. I mean, yeah. I mean, he's, he's I don't know. He's very nice. He's okay. he's probably quieter. You think he'll be more nervous or less nervous? I don't know. See, he taught um, for a long time. Like he taught at universities, so he can speak. I think to people yeah. better than I can. I'm just like a little nerdy curator. Okay. Who sits in the corner? That he does, talks to people do, more than I do. People, yeah, that's that's one of those things where when I find out people have taught in like classrooms, I'm always like, oh, mm-hmm. it's fine, we'll be yeah. good. Yeah, 
in, in a lot of different situations. Like if somebody's giving a lecture or anything, and I find out they have taught, I'm like, Psh. yeah, because it's it's like it's like having to do improv every single day. I think it like yeah. beats that fear out of people really quickly because every day you go and you stand up in front of people and have to keep them engaged. Yeah, and students engaged. Yeah. That's hard. It is. And like, so, yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. that, that, all right, he'll, he'll be fine. He'll be fine. <laughs> Me, on the other hand, total train wreck, but he'll be fine. No, you're, you're great. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, thank you for coming on. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Art Palace. We hope you'll be inspired to come visit the Cincinnati Art Museum and have conversations about the art yourself. General admission to the museum is always free, and we also offer free parking. Special exhibitions on view right now are A Shared Legacy, Folk Art in America, which will be closing on September 3rd. William Kintridge, More Sweetly Play the Dance. And of course, Anila Kayum Aga, All the Flowers Are for Me. If you want to learn more about this exhibition, join us for an on-stage conversation between Anila Aga and Ainsley Cameron on September 21st from 7 to 8 p.m. Members and students get in for free, and general admission is $10. For program reservations and more information, visit CincinnatiArtMuseum.org. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat. Our theme song is Offrande Musicale by Bacalao. And as always, give us those good, good five-star reviews on iTunes. I'm Russell Eyrig, and this has been Art Palace, produced by the Cincinnati Art Museum.